Welcome, welcome everyone to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. I want to thank you all for tuning in today. Today we have kind of a different episode, but I have to say it was surprising. I was so surprised today by the amount of information that I gained from this episode. So as the title says, it is The Myths of Medical Marijuana. And my guest is Dr. Rachna Patel. She has been practicing in the area of medical marijuana since 2012. She step-by-step walks patients through how to use medical marijuana for their specific medical condition. She completed her medical studies at Toro University College of Osteopathic Medicine and her undergraduate studies at Northwestern. And you can learn more about the work she does at drrachnapatel.com. And she also has, and all the links, by the way, all the links are at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com in her show notes, but she has a once a week Q&A on her Facebook page. I highly suggest checking out, and she's got a great YouTube channel, so I highly suggest you check all of that out. So what do we talk about today on kind of busting some myths around medical marijuana? There's a couple. One, how it functions in the body conditions that can be treated with medical marijuana, and when you shouldn't use it. It's not a panacea, as Dr. Patel says. It doesn't fix everything. Um, What are the side effects and how to avoid them? And alternatives to smoking marijuana? And why lab-tested medical-grade marijuana is very different from what is found on the streets. So all of this, it was really interesting. And, And the... Uh, amount of diagnoses that it can be used for and that can really help people. It's it's pretty great. And, you know, one of the biggest myths is, well, is, does that just mean you're going to be high all the time? And and I'll let Dr. Patel get into that in the during the episode. But it was great. I really enjoyed it and I learned a lot. Now, before we get to the episode, we are I have to announce that we are less than a month away from the Women in PT Summit. I'm so excited. We have some amazing sponsors on board. We have the section on women's health through the American Physical Therapy Association. We have the private practice section. We have EIM. We have WebPT. We have Entropy Physiotherapy. We have Hometown Physical Therapy and just announced the American Physical Therapy Association has signed on as a platinum sponsor. And I just want to say we are so thankful for all of you guys for coming on board and sponsoring. You have no idea how much it means to us and also how much it's helping us put this event together. So if you don't know about it, go over to womeninptsummit.com and you can find out more. I mean, the reason we're doing this, it's quite simple. It's to give mainly women, but men too. We want men to come because you can't have a conversation about the lack of female representation in leadership and entrepreneurship in physical therapy if you only have women there. So we encourage men to come. um, And we do have, and believe me, there are some men coming. So the whole point of this is to give people the tools they need to step into leadership roles, to perhaps step into entrepreneurial roles or even intrapreneurial roles and to find mentorship and to find motivation and inspiration to kind of think out of the box and figure out your niche and figure out how you can use those special talents that only you have to impact the world of physical therapy. Because being a leader doesn't mean, oh, you have to become the president of the APTA or you need to own a multi-clinic 
uh, physical therapy clinics. It, it can just mean you're a leader in your clinic. You may not even be the director, but you're taking on leadership roles. So it's a real mind shift change. And that's what we're hoping to get out of this conference. So head on over to womeninptsummit.com, find out more information, sign up. It's going to be great. It's November 4th in New York City. And the next day, November 5th, is a great course uh, entitled uh, Effective Communication for Your Patients with Persistent Pain. And that is by two amazing ladies are teaching this, Allison Sim and Dr. Bronnie Thompson. It is not to be missed. I've seen both of them speak and they are wonderful and they make my heart bigger and bigger and bigger. So if you want to really learn how to communicate and I know, and we have special rates for students and anyway, that's the next day. And then if you want to stay in New York another night, Sunday is a New York City Marathon. So you can go and watch the marathon and cheer everybody on. So it's a big weekend. Um, and Go over to womeninptsummit.com. You can get all the information for both courses, for the Women in PT Summit and then the course the next day. So uh, without further ado, let's get to today's episode with Dr. Rachna Patel on the myths of medical marijuana. Hi, Dr. Patel. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Thanks for having me on the show. And so today we're, we're going to talk all about so the myths of medical marijuana. But before we even get into that, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about you and your interest in this field of medicine? Sure. So the way I got into it was just completely um, by coincidence. I was on Craigslist just browsing around and I saw an ad that said medical marijuana doctor wanted out in California. So definitely piqued my curiosity. Um, I started looking further and further into it. Um, then I started to read all the different research that was out there on medical marijuana. Now, my background's in emergency medicine. And one of the things that I always um, saw in the emergency room was a lot of overdoses on opioids. Um, I even saw uh, kids as young as 10 years, 10 years old who had overdosed on opioids. Um, and this is because, you know, they, they were accessing their, their, their parents' uh, medications um, intentionally. And so um, you always kind of ran into situations where um, you'd have patients, they'd come in, and, um, it, you know, on the one hand, you'd want to give them the medication because you don't want to you don't want them to suffer from pain. But then on the other hand, there's always this little bit of doubt like, okay, you know, are they actually in pain or are they seeking drugs? Um, and, you know, you don't want to cause any patients harm. The last thing you want is for your patient to get addicted to that medication. So there's always this dilemma. And so when I started reading about medical marijuana as an option for pain, that's when sort of like a light bulb went on in my head that, okay, there's potential here for this medication, especially because... Um, it, 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 you know, in terms of addiction potential, it's not as much as opioids and it doesn't cause the, the harm that opioids cause, which is, I mean, ultimately, if you take too much, it can, it can lead to death. So um, the next thing was, okay, so I had all this information, right? So the next thing is, okay, I need clinical experience. That's how you become a great physician. But there's no formal training in the area of medical marijuana. Um, there, there wasn't at when I started four years ago, and there still isn't. So the next best thing that I could do was to actually go to a clinic 
um, and, and start treating patients. And that's where I gained tons of experience treating patients. And I realized that it's this medication um, doesn't just work well for pain, but it works well for other conditions like cancer patients that have um, a lot of nausea, a lot of vomiting, they, they're not eating, um, kids with epilepsy, patients with multiple sclerosis. So there's a wide variety of applications um, for this um, uh, specific medication. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the beginning of the story. <laughs> okay. And because it's, it's certainly something that I think in the U.S. we're hearing more and more about. More and more states are passing bills to allow medical marijuana. <laughs> and you know, you mentioned a couple of those diagnoses, multiple sclerosis. I think most people think of it for cancer patients. You know, it's what we see in movies. It's what you see on TV yeah. shows. So we've got, uh, and I didn't, I also didn't know children with epilepsy, uh, patients in pain, cancer patients, multiple sclerosis. What other conditions or diagnoses can people use medical marijuana for? So the three most common conditions that I've seen in the, in the years that I've been um, treating patients, anxiety, insomnia, and chronic pain. Those are the three most commons, uh, common. And then within the category of chronic pain, I'd say the most common conditions um, that I treat are arthritis, fibromyalgia, um, back pain for, from patients who, who have degenerative disc disease, Patients who've had like herniated discs, bulging discs, sciatica, those are definitely the more common conditions that I end up treating. And how, what is the mechanism of how the medical marijuana works with these patients? And you can feel free to be technical here, you know? Yeah, totally. So we have a system in our body, and, and a lot of this was discovered in the 90s. Uh, the main guy uh, who who discovered all this was Dr. Meshulam. He's a scientist based out in discovered the chemical structure of THC. Okay, so I'm going to give you sort of a, an overview here. We have a system in our body called the endocannabinoid system, and there's two com components to this system. Much like other systems in our body, there are receptors and there are ligands. Okay, so you can think of it as keys and locks, and these specific locks interact only with chemicals that are similar to the chemicals in the marijuana plant. Okay, so there there's the chemicals that are made in the marijuana plant, but we make similar chemicals to the chemicals in the marijuana plant in our own bodies. So, so we, we're already making these chemicals. Um, it's just that the plant makes similar chemicals and can interact with these receptors as well. And then the third source of these chemicals are man-made, man-made in a lab. So we do have prescription medications that, um, where the chemicals are very similar in structure to, to those in the marijuana plant. So um, one of the medications that's, that's commonly known is called Marinol. Um, so that's kind of a, a basic overview, okay? Now, in terms of the locks, there's two different types of locks. There's CB1 receptors and CB2 receptors, and they're located throughout the body. Um, the CB1 receptors tend to be more prevalent in, um, in our nervous system, whereas the CB2 receptors tend to be more prevalent um, in our immune system. But really, they're everywhere, okay? And that's why they have um, all these different effects for all these different conditions, um, because they're playing a role in different systems in our body. 
Got it. Got it. So that's how, you know, it can work with anxiety as well mm -hmm. as chronic pain, insomnia, MS, things like that. Okay. Yep, you got it. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, with every drug and, you know, we talked, alluded to this a little bit with the opioids that they have some pretty serious side effects, yep. right? So what are the possible side effects of medical marijuana? Because I think a big myth that people have is that you're going to be a quote-unquote pothead. You're going to be foggy all the time. You're going to, you know, marijuana leads to greater and bigger drug use. So, yeah. so what are some of the possible side effects and how can you avoid them by, you know, going through a medical doctor? Yeah. So the main concept to know um, is that every medication, okay, there's a range. There's a, a range in which uh, you take a dose and it doesn't work. There's a range in which you take a dose, it works, and it works well without side effects. Then there's a range where now you're starting to get side effects. So most of what we've seen in the media, most people are, are generally, I find, taking too much of it. And that's when they get side effects like the high, paranoia, anxiety, um, heart racing, dizziness. Those are the more common side effects um, if you take a little bit too much. Now, what if you take a lot of too much? Well, that's when you get into areas like hallucinations, um, nausea and vomiting. Believe it or not, it can make nausea and vomiting worse if you take way too much. Um, it can cause numbness and tingling as well. Um, uh, so, so the goal is, is to stay within that therapeutic range um, and at the lower end of it. Uh, if if possible, because specifically in my practice, I believe in minimal dosing. You know, just just take the minimal that you need, and then you don't need more than that. Now, when it comes to dosing, one of the things that I found is that dosing varies highly from patient to patient. So that's that's one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it is is that we're in an industry that's not well regulated, right? Fortunately, in states where marijuana is recreationally legal, there's laboratory testing going on. So you know they, they will give you with this laboratory testing amounts of the different chemicals. Now the two main chemicals that the plant makes in high concentrations are CBD and THC. THC is, is what a lot of people have heard of. That's the psychoactive component. That's what causes the high. CBD people are now more and more learning about. That has a lot of medical applications as well, but it doesn't, it doesn't cause a high. And then there's a whole bunch of other chemicals that we don't know much about, but um, you can adjust the effect that, that the medication will have on you based on the proportions of these different chemicals. I see. I see. So yeah. as, as a, a medical doctor, and if you're dispensing uh, medical marijuana to a patient for whatever diagnosis, this marijuana is te laboratory tested and you know how much of these chemicals are in this specific dose. So that's yes. how you can then dose. So how do you figure out how to dose for the patient? Is it based on weight? Is it based on height? Like, how do you know how to do that? So I, I you know what, at, at this point, I don't. I found that a lot of it is dependent on, you know, just how you're metabolizing these chemicals, how quickly. Two is um, fat metabolism as well, because these chemicals are fat soluble. 
Um, so a lot of it has to do uh, has to, has to do with that. Now, you know, the interesting thing is is that because this medication is fat soluble, the other thing I found is that patients don't have to take it every day. You have once you take it, you have stores of it in your body, um, and so those stores will overall help to reduce your pain even on a day that you're not taking it. So that's, so, so that's one of the, the, the other aspects of it is that, you know, I find that sometimes patients take it multiple times a day um, and, and they'll, they'll take it every day and it doesn't have to be the case. Um, and in fact, if you take too much of it, you do develop a tolerance to it and then it's not as effective for you. Got it. So, got it. so that's that's an important component of it as well. A big misconception, actually, that that patients or just people in general tend to have. Yeah. So it's not like taking two Advil every four hours kind of a situation. That doesn't no. have to be the case. No. And I've generally found patients don't need to take it more than once in a day. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we're talking about taking this medication as the patient. I think a big myth is everybody thinks we well, have to smoke it. I don't like to smoke. Why would I ever do that? So right. what are what are other ways that it can be used? Sure. So I actually generally advise my patients to not smoke marijuana. Long term, it does cause um, adverse effects. Doesn't necessarily cause cancer, we found based on research, but still makes, you know, you're still prone to um, uh, infections like bronchitis and conditions like COPD. So chronic smokers have COPD. So in ter- you do have other options available, okay? And again, they're more readily available in the states where it's legal. So um, there are edibles. So basically, marijuana that comes in the form of foods. Typically, they're chocolates. Chocolate bars is what you find. Um, uh, but you'd, you'd, you'll find a wide variety of products. Um, also, there are tinctures, okay? So basically, these are products that are used sublingually under the tongue. Um, and these are just drops or sprays that you can use under the tongue. Then um, there there are vaporizers. Um, these, again, you, you kind of have to know the nuances of it. Some within the category of vaporizers, there are some options that are better than others. But basically, what vaporization is, is that it's a method to heat, it's, it's a device that heats the plant rather than burning it, okay? So what you're avoiding is a combustion reaction that's creating the hydrocarbons. So you're not getting the hydrocarbons from vaporizing. It's almost like, I always like to explain it as like diffusing essential oils. So you're, you're basically heating up the oils um, in the marijuana plant, and then that's what you're inhaling. Got it, got it. So um, it kind of takes out that image of people of someone sitting around like smoking yeah. out of a bong or smoking yeah. out of a, you know, a, a, a marijuana cigarette or something yeah. like that. Um, and I think it, it sort of lessens maybe the stigma that surrounds it. Would you yeah, say? And, and not everybody, um, uh, wants to smoke or, or, you know, feels comfortable smoking and, and it is harmful to to your body ultimately. But yeah, there are many different um, options. And actually, in in addition to those options that um, that I mentioned, there's also even now rectal formulations and vaginal formulations of marijuana as well. So we're, we're coming up with more and more formulations. There's also topicals, you know. So you don't actually even have to put it inside your body. You can just apply it to the affected area oh, um, as well. Yeah. So um, it's a whole bunch of different uh, formulations that, that, are, that are coming out day by day. Nice. And, you know, part of research into pain, right, shows that there is an inflammatory yep. 
aspect of pain conditions. So yeah. does medical marijuana address these inflammatory aspects of it or not? Yes, it does. Um, so marijuana is a very potent um, anti-inflammatory. Um, it does help to reduce inflammation. And so that's why it works well with conditions like arthritis and Crohn's disease because there's an underlying inflammatory component to it. So he here's how we believe that marijuana exerts its anti-inflammatory effects. And a lot of this is based on research done in, in rats and in mice and in petri dishes. So does it necessarily translate to humans? We're not sure yet. But basically, a couple things. So one is, is that um, marijuana causes cell death of immune cells that are causing an autoimmune attack. Okay. Okay. The other thing is, is that it suppresses the production of cytokines. And cytokines are, are the signaling proteins um, that are made when um, immune cells are stimulated. Um, and, and these, they also play a role in signaling, um, uh, uh, in initiating and resolving inflammation. And then the third way is that um, the, the marijuana activates T regulatory cells. And T regulatory cells um, are basically the cells that uh, we have in our body to make sure that the body doesn't respond to what are called self antigens. It doesn't attack your own body, essentially. Got it. Got it. And so, and, and they are there to prevent autoimmune disease. So there's a couple ways in which um, uh, biochemically the marijuana, as far as we know, is working to, to help reduce this inflammation. Yeah, and that's just something that I feel like is definitely a tricky part about a lot of different diagnoses, especially these autoimmune diagnoses like Crohn's disease or MS or... Uh, you know, there's, there's tons of different autoimmune diseases. Now, would you say that everyone with an autoimmune disorder is a candidate? How do you choose who is a candidate for medical marijuana and who's not? Um, okay, so, so let me touch on this autoimmune part of it yeah. first. So does marijuana get to the root of autoimmune disease? Um, I found that it doesn't necessarily. Okay. The, the aspect of autoimmune disease that it does help with is that, so this is clinically speaking, that it does help with is to help reduce inflammation, which mm -hmm. in turn helps to reduce um, the symptoms that patients may be having. But I haven't found that, you know, they're using marijuana and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're cured. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I have not I have not clinically found that to be the case. Now, how do I decide who who um, does get approved for marijuana and who doesn't? A lot of it is on a case by case basis, but typically, you know, I'm spending a lot of time going through their medical history. Um, we're we're going through. Um, um, uh, you know, how long they've had this condition, what they have tried, what what they haven't tried, what's worked, what hasn't worked, um, if they've used marijuana before and if it if it's helped them before. Because um, I would say a good like um, 75 to 80 percent of my patients have actually used marijuana and they come to me saying, you know, Dr. Patel, this when I use the marijuana, it helped. So I now I want to know, OK, well, how do I use it? appropriately so that I, I don't get that paranoia that I felt, you know, before. Um, so a lot of times they have, you know, sort of tried it on their own. Now, granted, I am in California where um, it, it is 
a lot. It has been a lot more accessible to the average person than um, than in New York, for instance. Um, but um, so, like I said, it's it's based on a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. You know, I have found there are certain conditions that patients will come to me with. But, you know, like, let's just take high blood pressure, for instance, you know, they're, they're under the impression they've read online, they've done, you know, quote, unquote, research on Google, mm-hmm. and they found that marijuana helps with high blood pressure. But clinically, um, I found that it doesn't help. So in that particular case, you know, if they came to me just for that particular condition, I'd let them know that, you know, clinically, I haven't found much of a difference. And I don't think it would really benefit that condition. Yeah. And, and I guess that we should also say that not every state in the US, not every country in the world uh, you are allowed to use medical marijuana. So you'd have to check with your physician, um, before even thinking that this is a possibility for you, check with your state laws and things like that. Um, now let's say you're in a state, you're in a country where you can legally obtain medical marijuana. What are the steps that a patient should go through in order to do this successfully? Sure. So, um, it, so it, it varies from state to state, right? So let's just start with a state where it's medically legal. And then obviously I'm speaking from a perspective of being a physician practicing in the state of California. Typically the way it works is that, um, that you, you, you have to see a physician, okay, um, who has to approve you, uh, approve the use of, of, me- of medical marijuana for your specific condition. Now, in some states, it's mandated that you already have an established relationship with this physician, okay? Um, so, you know, you've, you've seen this uh, uh, doctor for over a year or so. In California, that's not required, but I think California has more lax regulations than most other states. And then the other, so once a physician approves you, in the state of California, again, it's more lax. You can take that paper. I issue paperwork. And basically, it's just a document that says that, you know, based on my evaluation, I approve, I think this patient will benefit from the use of medical marijuana. And then basically, they just take that paperwork to what's called a medical marijuana dispensary. Now, in most other states, you do have to register with the state after you do get approved by a physician. So I believe they have some other physician who's now working for the state who then looks over that uh, paperwork and then issues a card. And then and then you can take that to a dispensary. So that process can, can take a while um, in, in most other states. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the general process. Okay. Um, obviously, if it's recreationally legal, you can, um, uh, in Colorado, there's two components. There are some products that are accessible to anybody that walks into a medical marijuana dispensary, but then there's some products that are only available um, if you, again, have been medically approved to use the marijuana. So it really varies from state to state, and I would just go to your state's uh, um, like public health department website, um, and they may be a good source of information on, um, on this process. Okay, that's great. Good to know. Now, Oh, before we go on, there's one other condition. So, uh, Whoopi Goldberg has, I don't know, a line of marijuana. I don't know how else to explain it, but she talks about it a lot. And her, her line is specifically for menstrual cramps. So is this something that you see like this? Cause I feel like that can be kind of a, a tough one. 
Yeah, I actually do get women um, that have um, fallen to the category of having severe menstrual cramps. And there's actually a scientific reason as to why the marijuana is helping, right? So the uterus, which is contracting during the menstrual cycle, um, it, it's, a, it's a muscle, right? And those contractions are what's causing pain. And then CBD and marijuana is actually an antispasmodic. So the same reason that it helps multiple sclerosis patients that are, has, that are having muscle spasms is the same reason that it helps um, uh, women that are, uh, you know, um, in, in their menstrual cycle that are getting these cramps that's causing pain. So de definitely um, a reasonable um, uh, uh, use of medical marijuana. Yeah, because I see her, she talks about it all the time. Like every yeah. time she's on a talk show, she's always talking about it. And, you know, I feel like there are so many women out there who yeah. do get really bad cramps. Yeah. And oftentimes it's one of those things where most people are like, oh, we'll just suck it up or just take it. But I think people don't understand how severe menstrual cramps can be. Yeah. They could have you doubled over, missing work, you know. Yeah, they can pain, be debilitating. Debilitating. Absolutely debilitating. Yeah. So that's a, a good to know that the reasoning behind why that works. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, we, we talked about so uh, the different side effects and the myth that, you know, you're going to turn into a total stoner, which, you know, is probably not going to happen with, with the medical marijuana, the conditions that uh, often are treated. Um, how about the circumstances in which you do not recommend the use of marijuana? Because I think that yeah. we talked about the reasons why you should, but I think just importantly is to talk about reasons maybe you the, when you yeah. shouldn't. Yeah. So there is definitely, you know, I, I feel like we're, we're kind of in an, in an era where marijuana is being touted as a cure-all, but there are definitely certain groups where you want to um, uh, use the medical marijuana with a lot of caution, okay? Um, and that is because it can exacerbate some sort of underlying condition that you already have. So examples of this are if you, if you have some sort of heart condition, um, uh, let's just take an example of a dysrhythmia, you know, where you, your heart tends to race. You know, a lot of these conditions can be known as atrial fibrillation, um, uh, uh, tachycardia of some sort. So one of the things that THC specifically can do is that it can increase your heart rate, um, inc increase your heart rate. So it can exacerbate one of these, you know, these underlying conditions. So you want to use it with caution in, in that particular case. And I recommend it with caution. You know, I give very specific instructions to my patients when they have these conditions as to how they should be using the marijuana. The other con uh, uh, conditions are uh, patients who have conditions of the lungs, okay? So asthma, emphysema, um, uh, COPD. And again, that the, the, in this particular uh, population, um, uh, it, I just recommend don't inhale, you know, whether it's smoking, whether it's vaporizing, because it can, again, ex exacerbate that underlying um, condition. Then the third group of patients are patients who've had a history of psychotic episodes. Um, a lot of these patients tend to be those that have been diagnosed with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. So remember when I said that if you take too much marijuana, it can cause hallucinations? So these patients, um, um, uh, 
you know, when they have these psychotic episodes, they are already hallucinating. So taking um, a medication that's causing these hallucinations can put them into um, uh, into a uh, psychotic episode, which we don't want. Um, and then the last group of uh, patients are patients, women that are that are pregnant or breastfeeding, um, because um, there have been studies specifically on a growing baby that have said both that it can cause harm and that it doesn't cause harm. And and so I specifically choose to err on the side of caution in that I don't want to take that risk. Um, so I don't recommend um, uh, medical marijuana use in, in women that are that are pregnant um, or breastfeeding. Um, uh, so those those are the main groups. Okay, uh, all right. That, and that, that should all, be used with caution. Yeah, and that all seems obviously to make a lot of sense. Now, yeah. um, let's talk about the outcomes, you know, because it's all about outcomes, right? We have changes yeah. in healthcare coming where it's a veering off of fee-for-service and going to more outcomes-based management for healthcare. So what are the outcomes uh, that you're seeing and were you surprised by any of the outcomes? Yeah, definitely. So when I was reading the research studies, um, uh, a couple you know, studies that I came across said that me when medical marijuana is used in conjunction with opioids, the marijuana helps to reduce the dose of the opioids that you have to use. Okay, so this is what I went in expecting. But what I found surprisingly was that patients were able to come off of um, a lot of these pain medications and just use medical marijuana in its place. Now, this isn't everybody, um, but I'd say a good, a good portion of the patients um, that I was treating. Um, uh, let's just take the example of fibromyalgia patients. They, they tend to be on a cocktail of medications. In, you know, in addition to opioids, they're on antidepressants and, and um, uh, anti-epilepsy uh, medications um, to help with their pain. And a lot of them have been able to come off of those medications and just use medical marijuana. So that was very, very surprising to me. It's not something that I had expected at all. I expected that it'd be a part of the arsenal. Um, I didn't expect it to be the only tool um, in, the, in the arsenal that, um, that, that these patients were using. Yeah, that's, I mean, we as physical therapists, I'm a physical therapist, so one of our big things is to choose PT instead of going the opioid route, you know, because yeah. of addiction and overdoses and things like that. So I think if there are yeah. other medical uh, possibilities that can even work in conjunction with physical therapy, yeah, I think that that's a step yeah. in the right direction. Yeah. Now, here's the other surprising thing, too. There were definitely um, other case, certain cases where I found that the medical marijuana didn't work well. You know, um, and those were uh, my patients with severe cases of shingles, um, uh, usually more common in the elderly population. It didn't didn't work well with that. Um, didn't work well with patients who had severe cases of spinal stenosis. Um, so going back to, you know, it's being touted as a cure-all, but it's not necessarily. And for certain conditions, it works great, but then other conditions, not so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, now, we, we spoke about how you will uh, evaluate the patient, give them their, whether we'll call it a prescription or their paperwork to take to a dispensary. When they go to that dispensary, um, does the dispensary give them a certain dose? Like, do they fall? Like, do you say, I want them to take this much and, and then that's what they get? Or do they, does the patient kind of have to figure yes. that out on their own? 
Yeah. So let me go into the details of that. It's a really interesting process and it's actually evolving. Um, So basically that paperwork that I give, um, uh, I provide suggestions as to what a patient should take, but really ultimately they're free to purchase whatever it is that they want per California regulations. Um, Now, there there is a limitation on how much um, bud flowers of the marijuana plant that you can carry. And that's about eight ounces. Um, I believe it's in the gray area when it comes to other forms of marijuana, like edibles and tinctures and whatnot. Um, so, um, uh, typically what was going on, um, was that, um, a lot of people, uh, working at the dispensaries behind the counter were sort of, uh, giving, um, uh, you know, advice to, to patients as to what to use, but they weren't necessarily, they're not trained. Um, uh, there, a lot of their advice, it's well-intentioned, but it's coming from a place of personal experience rather than, um, uh, professional knowledge, um, professional experience. So a lot of that advice was, and still is misguided. You know, um, I'll have patients call me back where, you know, I'm giving them advice, but then some, somebody behind the counter is telling them something completely different. And, you know, in the moment they get convinced and then I get, you know, get the phone call that, Hey, this isn't working. And then I delve into, okay, well, what are you, what are you using? You know, how much of it are you using? And then we kind of go into the details of it and it's like, wait, this isn't really what I told you to use. <laughs> Um, and so, um, so that's essentially what's going on at this point in time. Um, uh, so I, what I try to do is I put the power in my patient's hands and I, I educate them and I tell them the specific reasons why, as to why I'm making the recommendations that I'm making. And then they sort of have to be assertive in saying, you know, when they go to the dispensers, Hey, this is what I want. Yeah. So basically the bottom line is listen to your doctor. Yeah. And not the person behind the counter at the dispensary at the dispensary. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So here's another myth is why do I need to go to a doctor for all of this? Why can't I just buy it from off the street? Okay, so here's the the problem with marijuana off the streets. Um, a lot of times it's laced. Um, I've had patients report back to me saying that, you know, whatever marijuana they used uh, was laced with like it was like soaked in ketamine. Uh, which is um, a, a sedative that's used um, um, under controlled environments. Um, uh, another patient was telling me that it was laced with PCP. Um, so that's one aspect of it, right? The other aspect of it is that you don't really know what you're putting in your body. Um, and so, you know, what combination of chemicals you're getting. Um, and that's very crucial to getting the end result that you actually want. And like like I mentioned, if you're not using the right combination of chemicals, it can cause those adverse effects that we talked about. So that, and in addition to that, um, when when laboratory testing is conducted, they also, they're also testing for fungus and bacteria, okay? And this becomes especially important for patients um, that are on medications that are suppressing their immune system or if they have conditions that are suppressing their immune system. So HIV AIDS, um, cancer patients, but even like patients uh, as simple as like something like arthritis, even sometimes those patients are on medications that are suppressing their immune system. So you don't want to get sick from, from the bacteria or the fungus. And then the other part of it is, is that they also test for pesticides and fungicides. Um, and, um, uh, the, you know, they're, they're ensuring that these levels are non-toxic. Now, again, 
this is a process and evolution. This, it's an industry in its infancy. So a state like Colorado is doing a great job, but they've been, they've legalized marijuana for a really long time now. And so, um, uh, they are starting to put standards and regulations in place. And so they're becoming better and better about this. And every year I'm always reading, they're coming up with, you know, another, um, standard in the industry or another regulation. Um, is that the case in California, for instance? Um, uh, not really. Um, in fact, there were regulations that were just passed in 2016, and they're very slowly being implemented. But there is an advantage to purchasing products that are laboratory tested and at a dispensary as opposed to off the streets. Sure. And if you're purchasing from a dispensary, are they all laboratory tested? You can feel confident in that? No. Oh, it depends on the state. Depends so the in state. Colorado, it's mandated. In California, as of yet, it's not mandated, but it's become a standard in the industry where more and more people are doing it voluntarily. So I would say about 80 to 90 percent of products do come laboratory tested in California. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, Washington, Oregon, as far as I know, I believe they're starting to implement um, standards and regulations. Yeah, because all the stuff that you said could happen with marijuana bought up the street is really gross. Yeah, it is. It is I mean, gross. That's gross. Like, who yeah. wants who wants PCP and fungicides and pesticides yeah. and fungus and bacteria? I mean, that's yeah. that's really disgusting. Yeah, and it defeats the purpose, right? You're totally. taking it to better your health, and then you know, in the process, you're you're kind of doing harm. Yeah, no, that's that's really gross. Um, I never even I have to be honest, I never even thought about that, but that's really disgusting. Um, so, what? What do your patients say to you after they've been on their medical marijuana doses? And uh, here's another question. Is there, does it work right away or does it kind of build up over time? Do you know what I mean? Like if you take a yep. dose, will you feel the effects right away? Or is there like a, a period of time where it has to build up in your system? Yeah, sure. So... I have my patients go through a process of about uh, a day's worth to figure out the right dose. But once you're taking the right dose, within like one to two hours, you should know if it's working. As long as you're taking the right dose. So within a day. So there is no like extended um, buildup process. And I think that that tends to be a misconception as well. That, oh, it takes two or three weeks. It doesn't. You, you'll know within, within the first day and if it's the right dose within a couple hours. Um, and what was the second part of your question? So the second part is, what are your patients saying? Um, I am getting actually great feedback um, uh, in terms of um, uh, pain management. Um, that's one of the conditions that um, I've, I've um, treated with a lot of success. Um, and like I said, in best case scenarios, um, patients have been able to come off of pharmaceutical medications. Um, in other scenarios, patients are able to reduce the doses of the pharmaceutical medications that they're on. And then in, in other scenarios, they, they take it in conjunction with the pharmaceutical medications, but overall it's helping to reduce their pain significantly by adding that to the mix. Mm -hmm. So that's pain. Sleep is one of those things that it works really, really well for, better than I mean, most commonly prescribed is Ambien, um, and I'm I'm not a fan of Ambien. Um, it uh, marijuana helps patients to to stay asleep, to fall asleep. Um, they're going into they they say a deeper state of sleep um, where they're not waking up frequently in the middle of the night. Um, anxiety is another condition 
um, where uh, one of the most common things I hear about that is that uh, patients will tell me, Dr. Patel, it it prevents my mind from racing when I go to bed at nighttime. Um, and then that then allows me to sleep and, you know, I'm less anxious the following day. So those are sort of the common things that feedback that I hear from patients um, in terms of those conditions. Nice. And that just got me thinking of something else, too. So we talked about circumstances which you don't recommend the use of marijuana, heart conditions, history of psychotic episodes, COPD, uh, lung issues. Are there any medications that interact adversely with the medical marijuana? Um, and if so, what are what would they be? Yeah, so... Um as far as we know, marijuana is um, processed by um, it, it's part of 70% of it is processed in the liver, 30% of it is processed in the kidneys. Um, now, it's processed in the liver by the cytochrome um, P450 complex, and that's um, that tends to process a lot of um, other drugs as well. So, theoretically, um, yes, it can um, cause drug interactions, but clinically, I haven't found that to be the case, and I've treated patients on a wide variety of medications at this point in over the past four years, you know, on heart medications, cholesterol medications, diabetes, epilepsy, and clinically, I haven't um, had any reports back that, hey, saying that, hey, you know, I had an adverse drug interaction. Um, so, so, yeah, theoretically, yes, it's possible, but clinically, I haven't found that to be the case. Okay. And are you, you know, as... as you see someone for the first time, right? Can you kind of take us through things that you ask the patients and maybe things that the patients should know and ask their physician? Yeah, yeah. And I actually have a presentation prepared on this in terms of what you should be, what information you should be getting from a medical marijuana doctor. And I'll give you a link for that. Oh, perfect. Um, it's like a brief 10-minute presentation, but I'll, I'll go over it briefly here too. Um, like I said before, in terms of the information that I'm looking for, I, just like any other uh, consultation with a physician, um, uh, they should be, you know, this doctor should be taking a good, thorough medical history. Okay, um, the, the industry in California has had, um, uh, for lack of better term, um, a shady start where you know, there were uh, doctor's offices set up where they were just mills, just sort of handing out cards. Um, and so a history wasn't being taken. But, you know, a, a, um, you should, a doctor should be taking a good history, doing a brief physical exam, and then they should be walking you through exactly how to use the marijuana for your particular condition, okay? So that includes what combination of chemicals you should be using, okay? How you should be using the marijuana. You know, what method of administration is going to work the best for you. Um, how, how, how to figure out how much of the marijuana to use. How often to use it. What to do if you have side effects, okay? And then what I found helpful for patients, too, is, you know, I, I give them a little tutorial on how to read the labels to make sure to ensure that they're getting a good product. I go so as far as, you know, if they have any doubts about any of the labeling on the packaging, how to contact the laboratory to ensure that those are the, that's, that's correctly indicated on the packaging. Um, so that's kind of a brief of what, um, information you should be getting. Uh -huh. It's almost like just, you know, just the, the same information you get for any other medication that, you, that you've been prescribed. Right, right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And are there any 
questions, what are some of the common questions you get from patients? Um, main thing is, is that, you know, have patients come in nervous, um, cause it's, cause it is marijuana. And so the first thing that they tell me is that I am not looking to get high off of this, you know, cause I guess there's, you know, any time people just assume that, oh, you want to use marijuana, you're just looking to get high off of it. And I totally understand that and acknowledge that. Um, and in fact, I tell patients that, you know, there are ways to use marijuana so that you don't get high off of it. Um, the other thing is, is that patients will tell me they don't want to smoke marijuana. Um, and so again, I inform them that, that there, that there are other ways. They also come in with concerns about, you know, um, potential for addiction. Um, they, they are concerned about, um, gaining weight from using marijuana. Um, uh, you know, how it will, it'll impact their employment is another concern. So those are some of the more common, um, concerns that patients come in with. Yeah. And here's a question. What if you're Speaking about employment, what if you're you have your drug tested at work? Yeah, so how you does know, that work? That you know, it's a tough situation because um, it's going to depend on the policy of the employer. Um, even in the state of Colorado, um, they actually just recently had a case. Um, this person was using marijuana at home for their multiple sclerosis, um, but they still got fired because they were drug tested and it was found in their system. So it's it's just going to depend on the employer, what their policy is. Um, so, you know, at this point, you're kind of at, at it's, you know, at, at their mercy. Mm -hmm. you know, Used with caution, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. You know, these are, because I think these are important questions that people really want to yeah. know, right? Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So we're coming, we're running a little short on time, but what I'd love for you to, to just kind of give a little synopsis of sort of what we talked about and what you think are sort of the major points that you really want people to come away with. Sure. So, I mean, ultimately, um, it's when using marijuana medically, it's, it's about taking the appropriate steps um, to, to use it safely so that you're not getting the adverse effects. It's so that it's, it's only giving you the medical benefits of it. And a lot of it is getting that um, information from, a, from an experienced provider um, who has the experience of guiding you in terms of, again, you know, how much to take, what combination to take, how to take it, um, uh, what, you know, what are the side effects, how to avoid the side effects, and then what to do if you do have side effects. So it's just a matter of being empowered with the right right information, ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. And and quite honestly, we should expect that of every healthcare provider, right? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. so where can people find more information about you and what, you, what you're doing? Sure. So a couple of different um, avenues. I do put blog posts up. Um, on my website, which is www.drrachnapatel.com. Uh, and I also have a YouTube channel where I put videos up of those um, blog posts. You know, it's just me speaking um, and providing that information. Um, and I can give you a link for yeah, my YouTube yeah. channel as well. Um, and then the third thing is, is that if, you know, if any of your listeners have questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them. Um, every Wednesday on my Facebook page, I host and ask me anything. Um, so go ahead and just, you know, post your, your questions, um, uh, right below that Facebook post. Um, and I'll do my best to answer your questions. That's so a, that's a great idea. Um, yeah. 
Excellent. And again, for everyone who's listening, we will have the links to all of this at the show notes over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So if you're looking for all these links, they will be right there in the show notes uh, for this podcast. So if you didn't have a pen and paper and you didn't write this down and you don't have a great memory, don't worry about it. It's all there. Um, so Dr. Patel, thank you so much for coming on. This was really informative. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here that I just did not know, and now I'm happy to know more. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, pleasure. And yeah. everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, enjoy your week, and I will catch you next Monday for an all-new episode. So have a great week, and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. <laughs>